from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. We have the dream team, Dion and Michelle, behind the glass. You make this show sound fabulous, and we are taking your calls live right now. 844 Wharton, that's 844-942-7866. We have an exciting show for you today. We welcome back one of our favorite guests, Julie Cohen. Julie, welcome back to Career Talk. Julie is the executive coach and CEO of Work Life Leader, which is a professional development program for emerging and developing leaders. She is the author of Your Work, Your Life, Your Way, Seven Keys to Work-Life Balance, and she writes monthly columns for a variety of magazines, including the HuffPost Working mother and the Philadelphia Business Journal. Julie, when do you find time for work-life balance? <laughs> With all that stuff. That is my work-life balance, Dawn. Hi. <laughs> it's great to be back. It's, it's awesome to have you here. Hey, if you have a career question you have been dying to ask, today is the day to ask because Julie knows all. So, hey, give us a call at 844-WORTON. That's 844-942-7866. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the first 90 days in a job or the first maybe few months. Maybe you just got a new promotion or you're trying to get a new promotion or maybe you just started a new job and eh, it's not really going the way you thought or it wasn't really explained to you the right way in the interview and you have questions about how you can salvage it or should you salvage it? We are taking our calls all hour at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live. And Julie, I want to start out with a question that somebody emailed me through social media. Okay, so, I'm ready. So we're just going to kick it off with that. So, uh, hello, Dr. Graham. I listened to your show and I... Right now, I'm beginning a search for a new opportunity, and job seeking is a bit overwhelming. Totally agree. Um, I would like some feedback on the difference in hiring a career coach or a headhunter. And this is from Neva Moore. So, Julie, what is the difference between a career coach, such as yourself, and a headhunter? Well, first off, you don't get to hire a headhunter. A headhunter uh, comes to you when they find you and have an opportunity that they think you fit. Um, to speak about a career coach, that is a professional who partners with you to help you facilitate a successful job search. So if, um, so in this case, what do you think Neva should hire? Well, it sounds like she needs assistance from a career expert. So mm-hmm. a career coach would help her navigate and give her their expertise. Um, also help motivate. As you mentioned, it can be a frustrating and challenging situation. And I know many, if not most people who are in their job search, they don't spend enough time on it and they get frustrated easily. So the career coach can also help, you know, kind of from that emotional standpoint, besides the expertise, they can help keep your search moving forward. Yeah, and I'm going to say on the topic of headhunters, while they certainly can be extremely helpful, um, as you mentioned, Julie, you don't hire them, but they find you 
Headhunters find people for jobs. They work for the company. And surprisingly, they only fill about 3 to 5% of available jobs in any given year. And when you think about the millions of jobs that are out there, that is a very, very small percentage. So if you are at a C-suite level, perhaps, or you have a very detailed, intricate, hard-to-fill type of skill set, that might be a good path for you. But for the most part, if your LinkedIn is up-to-date and a headhunter is looking for somebody with your experience, they will find you. So another part of the question was um, from Neva is that she lives in a rural area. And so this adds a layer of challenge because obviously there, there's fewer people, there's probably fewer jobs. Um, I don't get, I didn't get this level of detail from the email, but I'm guessing that she's not looking to move. So, how can someone who's maybe living in more of a rural area with fewer opportunities and you know maybe they already know everybody in town, how can they really amp up their job search, Julie? Well, you you could be co- exactly correct. There may not be opportunities that fit her skill set or that are available while she you know has a need. So one thing I would consider is looking for opportunities that are remote. If she's not going to be relocating, mm-hmm. are there positions that can use her skills that she can do? You know, in a combination of you know remote work along with maybe some travel. Uh, so, so there's ways to propose that, but you know, it's very unique based on you know her talent, her skill set, and, and the type of role that she's looking for. Because not all positions can you know accommodate you know a remote or you know traveling work. Mm-hmm. The good news is, though, I think more and more companies are recognizing that remote employees are a great way to go. One, you have access to more talent. Two, you you know don't need as much office space, and that's you know those costs of overhead can be really expensive. Um, and I think that's a great option for um, for people who are in this situation. I also believe that, you know, it, it, networking is not limited to your geographic area anymore. I mean, back in the day before social media, I mean, the, the world seemed much smaller because you only could network or you only felt like you can network within right. within your, you know, the walls of your city. But now you can network worldwide with just a click of a button. So right. so don't underestimate the power of your network, especially the power of second level contacts that may not be geographically close to you, but certainly are one click away on your computer. Yeah, and she could be considering, um, again, depending her skill area, looking at professional associations. Rurally, there may not be a chapter, but there's a national association that may have you know, focus on her area of expertise that has ways to connect with professionals, you know, across the country. Also, alumni organizations, your alumni associations, your your um, your former, you know, higher ed institutions, they're going to have ways to connect you also beyond LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Hey, thank you so much for writing with that question. Now, if you've got a question, you can actually call us right now if it's Thursday at noon Eastern. We are live taking your calls at 844-WHARTON. That is 844-942-7866. So if you've got questions about your job search, about your career, about a promotion, we are here to answer those questions. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. And you are listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. We are here with Julie Cohen, executive coach and CEO of Work Life Leader. So tell us briefly about Work Life Leader, Julie. What is that? 
Work-Life Leader is what I call a holistic leadership development program. Uh, I partner with organizations who want to develop their talent in a way that I think is how we, we must do that nowadays, where we create exceptional leaders, but we also help people enhance their professional effectiveness and improve their personal satisfaction. So it's a year-long program that I go into companies, but also it's open to individuals across the country. So... Um, What's the website for that, Julie? It is worklifeleader.com. Oh, <laughs> Very well, easy. That's intuitive. Um, <laughs> you are quick, Dawn. That is intuitive. Awesome. So, you know, one of the things that companies, it seems to be like a pendulum. It goes in and out when, you know, depending on the economy, they bring training in-house and they're training people and developing people and then the economy shifts and all of a sudden it's outsourced or it's dropped altogether because it's one of those expenses that they can't afford. So it's really up to you as an individual to manage your own career. And I think everybody should be doing that regardless of your company's level of involvement. So that's one of the things we're talking about today is kind of the first 90 days or the first you know three to six months when you get into that new company and, and how can you start off on, on the right foot? What is it, a quick win if you're in a new job or maybe you're newly promoted that, that you can have? What is a quick win for somebody in that role, Julie? In in the in their role, I always want someone in the first three months to you know complete a project, be successful on some type of engagement that they were hired to do. So it's really important. This happens even before you accept the job to really be clear of what the expectations are of the role and what success looks like in the role based on you know input from your new manager as well as you know organizational expectations so be clear on that and try to deliver something even in the first 3 months when you're you know getting used to culture learning the rules building relationships aim to deliver something that is is visible and important to the bottom line of the business. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you've got a great tip for somebody who's either newly promoted or new to an organization, we would love to hear it and have it shared with listeners here on Career Talk. We can be reached at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866 if it's Thursday noon Eastern time. We are live. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. Hey, do you want more great advice delivered right to your inbox? You can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about just general tips for the first few months in a job, things that you should do. So you already talked about early win. Um one of the things I really like is is focusing outward. So you first get to a job and you're thinking, oh my God, I need to do this and I need to do that. And you're, but but I think one of the things that that is super important is understanding what your boss is worried about. <laughs> because if you understand what your boss's biggest concerns or constraints are, I think you can really set your, uh, yourself up for success early on. Yes. So just like I mentioned with this last comment, it's clear to understand what you need to deliver. In those first couple, this I would say to even the first couple days on the job is to request a sit down if your boss doesn't naturally do that to ask him or her, how do you best operate? What do you need from me? I want to learn about your style, what you want from your direct reports so I can make you look good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful question. It can literally be as simple as, hey, Bob, 
what will make you look good in the next three to six months if I do? Mm -hmm. And even how to communicate that. Do they like to be um, on top of things? They want to report every week. Do they want, you know, do they prefer phone call over email? Do they, you know, do they want to text? I mean, what what is it that they want from you? Because the, the easier you can make that relationship, I think the easier your life will be in general. So I call that clear agreements. It's really important to set that tone and ask. Because your boss may have a different style than you. He or she may want updates every week. And you may be, hey, you've given me what I need to do. Let me do it. Trust me. Or vice versa. And unless it's clear, there might be constant you know, discomfort if you're not delivering. So get really clear. Ask those questions so you can give what you know, what your boss as well as other people on your team and in your organization need. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, when you're focused outward is is look around and who has the data, who has the information, who are the powerhouses? I mean, every organization has politics, whether they like to admit it or not, but there are certain people and they don't necessarily have to be in higher level roles, but there are certain people who are just in the know. There are certain people who, you know, have that information or who can get things done. And I think Starting to look around and understand who those people are and how they relate to your new role is is another important item. And so that's another important piece is understanding the operations, the culture of the organization. And the culture to me is the written and unwritten rules of how things operate. And you may not be able to, that's not going to be written down. So you may not be able to go to the website or go to a, you know, a manual and say, this is how it works. You have to pay attention. You have to be curious. You have to look at how people operate. You have lunch with peers and colleagues. You look at who you'll be working with, but you also look outside. Who are the centers of influence in different divisions? Who are the people that other people are talking about when they talk about great projects? So seek out those those people who influence the organization. Yeah, I want to talk about what is a fast kind of expedited way to um, to, to find out the culture? Because certainly over time you will find out, but I want, I want to talk about that in just a minute. But first we're going to go to Bob. Bob, welcome to Career Talk. What's your question? Uh, welcome. Uh, I have a question. Uh, whenever I'm listening in, in your program, and th- those are great tips that you guys give out, but in the type of industry that I work, uh, what I have seen is I'm ready for the next level okay. of management, if you, you want to call it. Uh, if I try to revolutionize uh, the, the arena where I am, like make people more productive, more effective, I'm, I'm going to interview for a higher position with these ideas. They say, no, we don't like the shake-up. We're just stable. We just want to write it out because we're not here to check it up. How can I make my presentation? Uh, like you're saying, you have to know your company. Mm-hmm. You have to know what they're up for. You, know, you, know, you have to know what they want to do. Some companies are here for profit. Some companies are just uh, in the utility business. And we just want everything stable. How can I separate myself from the pack yes. without sounding too trash? Because most of the time what I have seen, people that get promoted are like a clone of the other guy. Awesome. So, Bob, this is a great question. We're so glad you called us today because this is true. I mean, you have to know what is promotable in your company. And for some, it's going to be that rock star who's, you know, selling. And and in other cases, like for yourself, it sounds like what they want are, to use your word, the clones. They want people who aren't going to shake up the system and they want people to maintain the status quo. So it sounds like you've already answered your question that if you want to get promoted in this organization, you know the behavior they're expecting. Now, maybe this works for you. 
maybe it doesn't. And I think if it doesn't, then this might be a time to consider is this is this uh, where you pivot? Is this where you pivot out and go to another organization? And that that's something you definitely need to consider. Is this the place for me? Does my style match the organization? I'd also say there's other there's some other ways. If there's something about this organization that you are attracted to, you're, you know, the, the mission, the work is meaningful for you, and you are someone who wants to shake it up, it may not be your immediate boss who is the right person to deliver the message. So before you're ready to, to make that rock star presentation, find one or two advocates in the organization that speak your language, that may be a little ahead of the curve. Pass that to them first. Get their input. You may be able to get feedback on how to um, adapt your message so it can be heard in its revolutionary way and also be heard in you know what you're saying is stability is also important. So getting some internal advocates before you make the big pitch could really help get your message heard. So it's I think there's there's multiple options. It may be a time to say this isn't for me or test in, in some other ways. So um one of the things that uh that Michelle Michelle has a comment on this. Go hi. ahead Michelle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I hi. I was wondering um you know, d- does that ever have a backlash effect if you're going above your manager's head? I mean, if if it gets back to them um, that you went and took ideas to someone above their head, can that ever have an, an adverse effect in your environment? Or is it just if you're ready to 100% move on at that point, then it's okay to go for it? So I think there's a couple cases. So if you are ready, kind of, I'm. this is kind of my final attempt, then I think it doesn't matter. My suggestion isn't necessarily go to your boss's boss. It's look for other people in the organization that are successful that 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 speak like you or that are, you know, maybe a few steps more cutting edge than the culture. There can be challenges if you go to the boss, but if you have to decide what your risk assessment is, what your risk profile is and where you are. Again, it also depends on the industry. You know, are you easily employable elsewhere? So you have to pay attention, know the culture, and if you can always make it about the business. So, so when anyone, when I know someone who who wants to take this kind of risk, even if you're presenting to someone who's out, you know, above the hierarchy, use the languages. I have this that I think can real this idea that can really, you know, in you know, enhance the business. It's not about you. If it's about the business, it's hard to push back and say, oh, you bad. You know, that was a bad thing. If you can make it about the business, not about you. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. If you've got a question, you can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And, and Julie, this is one of the, the core things I think people need to understand is, is how do you get promoted? Because the, you know, logic would tell us that it's being the, the rock star standout employee coming with new ideas and, and ways to, to hit the bottom line. But it really is about what is the company's goal and how is what you're doing going to align with that? And so in Bob's case, you know, it sounds like it sounds like he's got a lot of energy and he wants to he wants to make a lot of change. And they are just like, we're not going to have it. And I think that happens. I mean, I think especially if you're working in positions where, you know, you are the, the nail that's standing up, you're going to get hammered. Well, and I think, you know, that could be. And in Bob's case, if he could present not necessarily just the idea, 
and kind of the revolutionary way. But what are, what are the business results? What does he see as how this can enhance what the organization is always doing? So, you know, revolution can happen and you can adapt the way you deliver the message and get heard in a different, you know, get heard well by maybe toning down the message but still delivering these really exciting results it sounds like Bob believes he can deliver. That's a good point. One of the things that I think people do is we have one way to influence. We pick a way. And some people, it's data. They have data, data, data. And the, and the person, their audience is not data-driven. Other people, it's emotion. They, they want a story that, that just kind of tugs at their heartstrings. And that's what persuades them. And other people, it's stories. It's stories that are relatable. So there's a lot of different ways to influence people and I think we tend to have our our strength and we use one but I think this is a really good point that you have to find whatever it is your audience is influenced by and if it's data great go out and get data even if that's not your style if it's a if it's emotion then great find a way to create um, a story that tugs at their heartstrings but if you're using the wrong type of influence with your audience you could have amazing ideas but you're never going to get through to them because you're just not hitting them where their 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 change spot is and so this ties back to the the topic we're talking about this is something else that's really important to do in the first 90 days understand and get to know some of the decision makers who will impact your success those may be people within your functional area and they may be people outside that and understand how they best absorb information, how they make decisions. You know, an example would be if you were working in an organization where people spoke different languages. You couldn't go and speak one language if that's not what they understand. Mm-hmm. You have to understand the best way to both communicate and to, you know, get buy-in on your ideas. And, and that is a really powerful and important skill of an effective professional and effective leader. How do I adapt me? Because I can only control me so I can get the results that I want that I've tied back to business success. So we were talking a lot about ways to approach the first few months in a job or in a promotion so that you can get ahead. Is there anything, Julie, that you should never do in the first 90 days or that you should really try to avoid to, um, I know that's, that's kind of a different focus, but I, I mean, never one do. of the things that I will tell let you, me, yeah, cause go, I've let, made this mistake and I, you know, this is true confessions. Don has done this uh, and uh, it is hear. bad. It is bad. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not that bad. We're PG 13 here, but you, you know, when you come to a company and you're excited to be there and you, you, one, I've tried to change things too quickly. So I come in and I'm like, I have all these ideas and, and doing it in a way that, you know, at my last company, we did this at my last company, we did that to the point where people just wanted to punch me because that's, I mean, no one wants to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. We're I, in might, this company I might want to punch you. Yeah, I, I, I might. I might. I know. I'm telling you. So I'm sharing my mistakes with you all so that you don't make that mistake but it's common because you're excited and it has good intentions and you're like what if we did it this way and what if we did it this way and you know my last company we did this and you know to the point where people are like okay like take take a hot second to get your arms around what we're doing here why some of these things probably have been tried or won't work and like and just calm down and so that is acknowledging both the the people who are there before you Again, and this could be you're going into a new organization or you're, you know, you're promoted within a current organization. You know, going in and assuming, assuming you know best and you can fix without, you know, 
learning the way things operate can set you up as people questioning, you know, does she get our culture? How can she do that? So I think that's really important. Another thing I think that's on the flip side of that is don't be too hold back. Don't say, all right, you know, for the first couple months, I'm just going to sit back, observe, and listen. You were hired or promoted because you have value to contribute. So, so this is a continuum in which you need to navigate. So don't overdo it, but make sure your voice is heard so you're not seen as, all right, we just hired this dud and they're not showing us anything that we've done. You're calling me a dud, Julie. No, I'm saying the opposite of yes, you might be a dud. You you would never be a dud, I needed, to, I needed to calm down, but I agree. <laughs> you, you, we teach people how to treat us, so I think that's really important is getting in and setting your boundaries to some extent too. So, I mean, if you're going to get in there and you're going to respond to emails at midnight and you know and that's like the first thing you're doing that's a, that's what people are going to do they say wow julie's here and she responds at midnight and i know you never do you're good with boundaries julie i am good with boundaries but i'm also good with technology that allows me to write emails at midnight and send them out at 8 a.m the next oh, morning secrets so, about julie that i never knew yeah yeah secrets so, about julie so there's a lot there's, there's <laughs> I, we can tell them a little more as, yeah i was gonna say go. part two of the show is gonna be we're changing it to secrets about julie that you never knew hey if you're just if you're just tuning in you're listening to career talk 844 wharton 844-942-7866 hey do you have a great tip for somebody starting a new job or maybe somebody recently got promoted or maybe like me, you can share some of the mistakes you made and hopefully help others from making similar mistakes. We want to hear from you at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. But right now, we are going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. Okay, 88% of candidates are more likely to do this with a company that provides them with a positive applicant experience. 88% of candidates are more likely to do this with a company that provides them with a positive applicant experience, even if they were not hired. Think you know? Give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School Series XM channel. 11, we are here with Julie Cohen, executive coach and CEO of Work Life Leader, and we are talking all things career. And specifically, we're talking about how to kick butt when you get a new role or when you're promoted. Taking your calls all hour if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're live at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Julie, let's talk about some special situations regarding getting hired what if you have like you're you just accepted a job and you're a couple of weeks in and you're like oh no this was not what I signed up for what do I do do I do I stick it out for a year to save my resume do I quit and just pretend it never happened Uh, yes (laughs) (laughs) yes do both no so so it really depends and well, you know, I'll tell you what I think on a couple situations. So if it is, you know, a, a situation in which it is toxic, it is, you know, an environment in which you can't healthily work, get out. And, and you know, if you realized it was a big mistake and it's not sustainable and it's going to be damaging to you, your well-being or your career path, it's okay to leave a job. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, you know, in two or three weeks, it is somewhat difficult to really understand the full scope. So unless it's one of those, you know, really stressful, you know, dangerous, illegal type of employment situation, I would see, are there other ways that you can, you know, connect with other people in the organization, align it more with your talents, talk to people, see if there's more opportunities. Yeah, two and three weeks is is a little bit early, but I do think things happen. So maybe you got hired by a boss and that boss left and now you're you're with an unknown and, and that boss isn't isn't gonna I mean, there are things that happen and I'm not saying that should that's your jump out the door, but I do think here's the thing. If you know it's a mistake, I think it's fine to leave. Here I would never ever tell somebody to make a job decision based on a resume. Because resumes are marketing documents. We right. can, we can, career coaches can help you write a resume that's well done. But hey, has this ever happened to you? Have you started a job and a couple weeks in, you're like, whoa, this is not what I thought. Give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Tell us, did you make it work? Did you jump ship? What happened? 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So what about, Julie, if... You know, some of the jobs now that these companies are all matrixed and everything, what if you have two bosses? You start a job and now you have two bosses and they're, they're different styles and different ideas and you're like, ah, like I can't, I can't seem to, to find the common ground between these two individuals. That sounds like a great opportunity for you to practice different communication styles, different ways to facilitate results. So instead of freaking out, think, what, how can I grow from this? And so you look at each relationship as separate. There may not need to be common ground. You talk to, you know, boss A and build that relationship, and you talk to boss B and build that relationship. If 
the the expectations of you know each person that you're accountable to are you know counterproductive and you feel like you can't do that then you may need to have what we call in work life leader a difficult conversation which we help people say you know this i'm not able to do this i need to raise this issue and you need to get support so you may have to have a challenging conversation you may have to manage up you may have to talk to your boss or each boss and let them know I need this so I can do this. And you know, going back to what I said to Michelle's comment earlier, make it about the business. Don't make it about, oh, you know, this isn't good for me. I don't know how to do this. Say, this is what will enable me to be successful and, you know, deliver the results that you hired me. Look at every challenge as an opportunity to show your impact and how you're a problem solver. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you want a great book on the first 90 days, Michael D. Watkins has written a book actually called The First 90 Days. He's very intuitive too, Julie. (laughs) The First 90 Days. So in this book, um, Michael Watkins has these five situations, um, which he calls STARS, Startup, Turnaround, Accelerated Growth, Realignment, and Sustaining Success, which is hard to say. Um, and so he his his advice is to assess what you're walking into so that you can come up with a plan to be successful in your first 90 days in these jobs. And I think one of the hardest ones to walk into is is a merger or some organization that's going through a major change, whether you're getting promoted or you're you're just starting in an organization that is going through flux for any reason. Are there any special tips you have for listeners? on how to deal with that, Julie? Well, I I think what you're describing, which could happen in an organization like you described, you know, going through, you know, some type of M&A or other organizations is ambiguity. And, you know, the more, um, you know, complex and confusing things are, it's much more challenging for someone new, either to that team or to that organization to come in and be clear. So we, we mentioned this earlier, that from day one, is have those conversations in this time frame. You may have to, you know, an organization that's in having a, you know, a merger or acquisition or some type of significant change. Your time frame may need to be much shorter, you know, as opposed to looking at what I'm going to do in, you know, 90 days or six months. What's going to be valuable for me in the next month or in the next two weeks as we're trying to, you know, navigate through this challenge? Mm-hmm. But get input. If you're new to the culture and organization, you may not be able to have that answer. And that's where, you know, your direct report or other organizational leaders, you have to rely on them. So we talked earlier um, about how to fast track in terms of understanding the culture. So I want to loop back around to that. And hey, if you're listening and you've got some tips on this, I think it'll be immensely helpful for everybody. 844-844-942-7866. So okay, yes, over time you learn the culture. Where do people eat lunch? Do they stay late? Do they answer emails on weekends and stuff like that? But Julie, what are your tips for kind of fast tracking that so that you can you can try and get as much information as early on as you can? So do you want to, do you want to give me a specific situation or a concern around that? I mean, part of it is talking to the people who have been there and understand how they've been successful. I would always advise, and this is a really simple tactic, is from day one, make sure you're eating lunch with people around you. Have those conversations you know, when, when you get up from your desk and walk around. If it's an open office plan, talk to people, understand what their stories are. Honestly, some of that, 
ideally happens before you start working and even in the interview process, but learn how things best operate. It's great to have friends at the workplace. And, and actually, that is one of the things that keep people where they work is they, they build relationships. So don't assume you have to figure this all out by observation. Ask those questions. Hey, you've been here three years. What has worked for you? I have this challenge. You know, what are your thoughts on a best approach? I'm thinking about this. Have those kind of you know, engaging dialogues while you're trying to figure these out. Mm-hmm. One, one of the tips that I like is, you know, walk around to people's offices, cubicles, space, and kind of see what's on their desk or see, you know, do they have pictures of their family? Do they have baseball pictures? Do they have, you know, they ride a horse? I mean, whatever their situation is. And really just start to ask them about those things and say, oh, that's, you know, that's really cool that you have a horse. Um, it, you know, the other thing I, I started this, maybe this is not, this is a little cheesy, but... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk this up to not a mistake of my first 90 days. One of the things I did in one of my first staff meetings when I joined Wharton was to say, you know, what if everybody goes around and shares one thing that nobody else knows about? each other and um, you know my, my thing I shared was I don't like peanut butter but some of the other people shared some some really interesting things that I'm not going to say on air but I was like wow so I mean it was a great way just to kind of build collaboration and again it may not work in every situation but I think making those efforts to get to know people outside of, of kind of the work environment in terms of what are their interests what are their values what do they like to do I mean yes. um, it, it just builds trust and so I, I actually I have language for this around a continuum, especially at the beginning. You want to absorb. You want to kind of be a sponge and watch and observe and be curious. But you also want to engage. You want to put yourself out there. Take some risks. Let people know that you don't like peanut butter, you know, and find other why. find other peanut butter haters at, at, at the at the organization. Dion, do you like peanut butter? How do you not? Like I know, peanut I know. Your face was like, was like, oh, I love Reese's, so you know. No, I do like peanut M and M's though, and I I really don't know what that's about. Well, that's peanut, not peanut butter, I guess. Yeah, I, I wish you liked. Disliked something that was like less close to people's hearts. I know. Like, you're I not going to connect with many I'm people. I'm not connecting with anybody in this, but that's why I thought it was an interesting fact because I'm like, most people like peanut butter. And I was like, yeah, I don't. So, I don't know. Random, random facts about me. But anyway, um, <laughs> so let's answer the pre break quiz. Let's move on. All right. So, pre break quiz was 88% of candidates are more likely to do this with a company that provides them with a positive applicant experience, even if they weren't hired. So, peanut butter lover Dion. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it when he laughs. That's my favorite it's part the of best the show. Laugh. <laughs> it's the best laugh. It really is. Because um, I've done this before. I'm going to say apply for another position. But Michelle, Michelle pretty much told you that that was not the right answer. <laughs> there we go. It's all right, though. It's all right, though, because you'll have peanut butter and straws and Buy pants fern. and ferns. <laughs> Wasn't I mean, that the answer to last week's quiz? Did he just, like, borrow that? What? The, the apply for another job. Was it? Oh, after it was. A vacation. After a vacation. Oh. <laughs> after a vacation. What do people do? They come back and they, they search jobs. I'm going to keep going with it you, until it's right. He's, <laughs> one of these times, it's going to be right. You're, you're only a week behind, Dion. That's fine. That's fine. Fashionably late. Fashionably late. <laughs> so true. Michelle. Um, I'm going to say um, that they will be a patron of that company. Yes. 
That's exactly <gasps> it. Oh, that they amazing. Will, they will buy or become a customer of that company, which is why it's so important for, for you hiring managers out there, you recruiters who are listening right now to treat candidates well. And, you know, I know, Julia, that this has become you know, something that, that people are griping about that they never hear back. They're oh, ghosted. That is such the biggest complaint. Why can't they just tell me? Yeah. And I get they get they they get a lot of applications and, and things of that nature. But people go for an interview. They actually sit to, across from somebody and then they never hear from them again. Well, I think the challenge there is it's a relationship. That conversation, you build a relationship. Even if it's not a match, that person may be a match for a position in the future. And, mm-hmm. you know, not providing that, you know, what, what that person perceives as a basic courtesy, you know, can turn that a potential great candidate for another position off to that organization. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you have a great tip for your first 90 days in the job? Or maybe you're trying to get a promotion yourself and you have a question on how to do that. But of course, we're also taking any calls on the job search and career advice because we are career talk and that is what we do. 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866. So what about this sticky situation, Julie? What Uh if you are promoted over your peers who you've become close with and friendly with and now you're their boss? So this happens a lot. This happens a lot. You know, you're talented in a role and the expectation is you can support and train and facilitate and lead other people who are doing that role. And it can be tricky because these are your friends, likely, or at least some are your friends. And now you are in a value, you know, you're in an evaluative, an evaluative role or um, may have to deliver difficult messages or the relationship changes. So with that, similarly to, you know, some of the other advice around the first 90 days is you want to address it straight away. So have that communication. I would I would advise have it one-on-one with each person in your team so you can set the stage that you care about them as a person and that personal relationship is really important to you. And obviously your role is going to be changing as you step into the managerial position and that you want to make it work well for both people parties. So this is where you can start setting expectations. This this is how what I need from you and ask your former peer, what do you need from me that can help you be you know, wildly successful? And you can be transparent, direct, and acknowledge this might be bumpy over the next couple months, but we are on the same team, we want the same results, and I want to keep the both the personal and professional relationship intact. Yeah. What about things like outside of work and social media? I mean, should you make any changes to those? Because here's the deal. A a former very wise boss of mine once gave me very good advice when I found myself in this position. And she said, hey, you know, pretend you have an L for leadership on your shoulder. And all the time when you're thinking of, of what to do next in terms of making a decision around you know, going out with your peers or things like that. Always think about that L and ask yourself, is this the right leadership um, decision for me or the leadership uh, brand that I want to put out there? So I thought that was great advice. And it really helped me when it came to those like decisions that I'm like, well, this isn't so bad, but, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. And I think you have to decide as, as the new boss, you have to decide what you're comfortable with. So your style may be in the workplace I need us to now change our our relationship and 
I want to lean towards that edge of much more formal so no one you know, can ever say there's favoritism or I'm, you know, I'm not treating you like I'm treating everyone else. And so that might mean pulling back and not having lunch with a person or not going out to drinks, you know, afterwards with one person and not the other. And I think you have that conversation directly. You know, on the flip side, some people can navigate that well and you can you know, address it as a situationally as it comes up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to start establishing relationships with your new peer group level. So, I mean, to 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 start saying, okay, I need to start having lunches here. I need to start getting to know this group. I need to kind of start right. moving in this direction. So we're going to go to Janelle in Florida. Janelle, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hi. I've been with my company for a few years, and it's been a couple of years since anyone on my team has gotten in promotions, and the company had some ups and downs, so I kind of understand why. I was wondering, should is it going to look bad for me to stay at this company without having any promotion for a couple, couple years, being in the same position? Does that look bad to a future employer? Great question, Janelle. And this comes up a lot because the, the tides have turned, whereas years ago it used to be don't, don't hop jobs, don't be a job hopper. And now companies are like, why have you been in a job so long? So, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting phenomenon that we've moved to. And so here's the deal. If you're in a company for a while, yes, promotion's one way to show that you've made some movements and taken on some new skills. But I think what's most important, Janelle, is that you find ways to show that you've remained agile, that you've taken on new responsibilities, whether that's projects or maybe supervising people, or maybe you're getting involved in volunteering in in different areas of the company. Um, Maybe you're you're doing some some global work. Make sure that whatever you do, you are growing your skills and showing that you've taken initiative to get involved with new things because that's what a company or new employer is going to be most impressed with is, okay, so you've been with this company five years in the same position. How have you grown? Where have you built your skills up? How have you brought in? That might be from technology. It can be a lot of different ways, but I think that's going to be what you need to do if you're going to stay with this company, Janelle. So thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, we're taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Katie in Massachusetts, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Katie? Yes, I have a question. I'm starting to the interview, well, starting to uh, interview and I am uh, two months pregnant and Congrats. I'd like to disclose that to my employer. Thank you. Uh, and it's yeah, I'd like to disclose that to employer just to start the relationship on an honest, um, you know, on an honest footing. And when is a good time to approach that that topic with them? Is it within the first interview, or do you wait until salary negotiations? You can get into the the position specifics or the um, the deal specifics. Oh, Katie, you've gotten the juicy, job. juicy question. This is this is a great question. So, okay, so here's the deal. What we know to be true is that companies are not permitted to discriminate. What we also know to be true is there's no way to prove that they're not. <laughs> so so here's the deal. Um, and whether it's a pregnancy, whether you have a three-month honeymoon coming up at the end of the year or, or anything like that, the first interview is never the right time to disclose because here's the deal. They don't know you. You don't know them. Why put something on the table that is irrelevant to your success in the position but might taint their opinion towards you. So I would say first interview, nope, you're getting to know them, they're getting to know you, no need to be putting putting things on the table that are irrelevant to your candidacy. So, okay, when should you disclose? You want to be honest, and I think that's admirable. 
But here's my opinion. I would say that you would wait until you know you get the offer, your negotiating salary, and that you you actually have the job. Because here's the deal: again, your pregnancy is not something that is going to impact your ability to do this job well. Yes, you're you're going to have to take a, some time off, but again, you know who's to say you wouldn't get pregnant six months from now? So, Julie, do you have anything to add to that? Exactly that. I, this is an issue I would not bring up till you get the offer. You're you're early on, two months in. Go for it. Get the job. And prove and show that you are the right person for that job and that you are irreplaceable. And, you know, when you become in the place of, you know, negotiating and you want to let them know, great, but get the offer. And I admire your your willingness and, and desire to be honest. That would exactly be mine as well. But here's the thing. Once you put that out on the table, regardless of a hiring manager's desire to not consider that a factor, we're human beings and they're going to consider it. They're going to think, well, in seven months, this is what we're going to be doing. It's our busy season. And again, it's just one of those things that it's it's not going to affect your candidacy, so I would not put it out there. Katie, great question. I know a lot of people are thinking about that. Um, so here's the deal. In the first interview, um, this is not a good time to put out anything that is not going to impact your candidacy, but may taint their perception of you as a strong applicant. And that's kind of my thought on that. Thank you, Katie. 844-Wharton-844-942-7866. Justin in Florida. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Justin? It's more of a, a bigger topic, but it also needs to be boiled down into tactical action. It's about um, just having this uh, desire um, that I should have a career that, that uh, makes a difference for the world and makes, uh, you know, helps out humanity. So I've written some of those things down and trying to crystallize those in terms of how to actualize that to a career path. Um, I've been with my company for uh, about a dozen years. I, I'm, I'm very happy with the salary, the benefits. Everything is terrific. Um, but I, I'm chasing, it seems like you're just improving things to make some more profit for the company and not necessarily um, that uh, the desire what I'm asking for is just to uh, um, try to make the, try to have a, a career that has a definite positive impact on humanity. So I know it sounds like a tree hugger sort of statement, but how do you uh, turn that desire or that need into a into an actual career path where you want to pivot potentially into a, into a different path? Justin, I, I, that does not sound tree hugger to me at all. And I think at a, at a, a root, most people want to make the world a better place, make a difference in their in there <laughs> except julie julie no, just wants I'm, to make I, money no, no. <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm not gonna agree with you dawn on I that i don't know but I, I, people want meaning in their work meaning and meaning to them i'm still be, not gonna agree ma- with you on that that's totally cool they want <laughs> whether it's money whether it's hugging trees justin i think yeah i think whether it's supporting their family whether it's, I mean, they want whatever that is for them. So I think that's awesome, but Julie's going to disagree with me. So my philosophy <laughs> is that every person has a unique relationship to their work, right? So we date for different reasons. We make choices around our work. So what I hear Justin's Justin's relationship with his work is he wants it to be meaningful and he wants to impact the world. And that is awesome. And someone else's is I want to have stability so I can, you know, raise my family in a level I want, or I want to, you know, get promoted as quick as possible. It's as unique as the person. And so 
once we decide what that is, then you can act upon that. So what I hear Justin saying is, I have this desire and I'm not getting it in my current job, but I'm getting some other things that are really important. So sometimes what happens is a person has what are called values conflicts. They want stability and a a great job, and they want to do something else. And so you talked about pivots. This might be an opportunity for a pivot point for you to think about, am I at a place where I can be creative and start looking at ways to create a different position that will give me more of that meaning? Or might I need to look outside of work and get that meaning elsewhere if that stability and financial need is not something I'm willing to risk? Because sometimes making these big kind of changes can impact, you know, your earning potential and, you know, the financial stability that may be also be important to you. Mm-hmm. So I that was my first thought, Justin, because you're happy with your salary. You're happy with a lot of things within your company. And depending on what your next step is in terms of how you want to impact the world, it may not offer the same salary. It may not offer the same stability if that's something that's important to you. So the question is, can you find this fulfillment outside of your job? Um, Because that may be the best of both worlds. You're able to do both. Um, If not, you have to start looking deeper and say, can I afford or would I be happy if this is my, my true passion to, to follow this because here's one of the things that I, that I really do believe that sometimes when something is your passion and you're excited to do it once it becomes your source of income you know the relationship changes a little bit so you may decide that that's not what you want to be doing full time and I think that's something you need to kind of explore with yourself does this make sense to do full time and be the point of, uh, the, you know, your point of income, or does this make sense to you outside of it? So, Julie, final comment as we Fi- wrap up here. Final comment, Justin, you may want to look in the organization to see if there's a project that takes 10% of your time that will give you that value. There, You, pr- you propose something that is socially impactful and can be aligned with a business. So don't assume you can't get it. Propose something that, that connects the two. I'm excited for you, Justin. I'm I'm a tree hugger as well. I, I always look for opportunities to, to try and make this world a better place. And as does Julie. I love trees. Julie loves trees. Um, and I hate peanut butter. So I, <laughs> I guess there's enough, to, there's enough of that. Justin, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We appreciate that. So Julie, where can people reach you? You can always visit worklifeleader.com and connect me through there. Or I love hearing from anyone who's listened to the show through LinkedIn. But make sure you tell me how you heard from me and we can connect. Yep. Always send a personalized message through LinkedIn. That's our that's our advice for you. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been a pleasure having you back on the show. Dion and Michelle, you guys rock it. And all the listeners out there who continue to email and, and follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com. Thank you for that. So, hey, we would love to hear your questions. So if you have a question you're not able to call during the regular time, you can always tweet them at Dr. Don Graham and we will read them on the air. But of course, we love for you to call as well. So you've been listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School, and we will see you next time.